0: If you listen to my last podcast, I believe I called the idea of the Jets trading Jamal Adams this late in the offseason moronic. But the immediate reaction of dealing a safety that did not want to be on the New York Jets. You got a replacement player for him. You get two ones, a three. This was a a fantastic haul. That's the immediate reaction, and it, it was. The return that Joe Douglas and the Jets got from the Seattle Seahawks for Jamal Adams was undeniably strong. But where my concern shifts is to what does this mean for Adam Gase? And what it essentially does mean is he's here beyond the 2020 season no matter what happens this year, no matter what their record is. And if that is a factual way of thinking by the New York Jets, It's moronic because I can sit here and I can tell you Adam Gase deserves to be on the hot seat and I can tell you that Adam Gase is on the hot seat and after a shaky tenure in Miami, a shaky year one with the Jets, that he shouldn't be given a pass in his second season. And if the team is not a legitimate playoff contender in year two, he should be gone. Gase does not deserve a three or four year rebuild with the New York Jets based on what he did in his inaugural season, based on the fact that this general manager did not hire him, and based on what he did in in Miami with the Dolphins. Gase doesn't deserve the opportunity to attempt another rebuild. He doesn't deserve the opportunity to build another quarterback if he can't figure it out with Sam Darnold. Gase doesn't deserve to be the head coach of this team if he has back-to-back seven and nine seasons. His credibility is riding on the coattails of Peyton Manning, throwing 55 touchdowns for the Denver Broncos in 2013. That should buy you nothing in 2020. But all of that logic is irrelevant based on the Jets' actions this past weekend. By trading Jamal Adams, the Jets told us Adam Gase is getting a free pass this year. The Jets just traded away their best player. Far and away their best player. And they did it five weeks before the season, in a year where as far as i'm concerned they need to make a strong push for the playoffs 6 and 10 does not cut it for the jets 8 and 8 does not cut it for the jets this season we're praising joe douglas for the return he got for a safety yes but how has he made the jets better this year how has he given sam darnold the playmakers that he needs to help develop in year 3 as a starting quarterback it's been a decade without a playoff appearance for the jets 10 years you know it's it's enough As much as they're looked at as a losing franchise, as an organization that can't get out of their own way, this is by far the worst stretch of football that I've ever witnessed them play. This is the second worst stretch in their franchise history. You have to go back to post-Super Bowl Weeb Eubank and the entire decade of the 70s to find a similar run. But in the midst of that 10 years of perennial losing, I'm not going to give Joe Douglas a fist bump for getting draft picks for for Jamal Adams. I want to see them get better on the field, and I want to see pressure on the head coach to win. Trading your best player for assets that you're not going to see a return on for another 32 games doesn't signal an organization that's focused on winning this year. And if you're not focused on winning this year, then where is the pressure on Gase to win? You can't sell me on having expectations to win. When you trade your best player just weeks before the regular season is supposed to start, you don't sell your car the night before a road trip unless you're canceling the trip because the money isn't going to get you anywhere immediately. It's going to take some time to turn that money into a replacement vehicle. You take the road trip, then you sell the car and say we're building for our next road trip. Fine, but, but selling the car the night before a scheduled trip means you're throwing in the towel on that trip. I don't care how much money somebody's willing to pay, you still threw in the towel on that next trip. And the Jets just threw in the towel on their next game, on their next season, and said the expectations that we feel as fans, the demands that we want for this team as fans, and demands for the head coach in 2020 are not in line with the expectations and the demands that the organization has. And that's frustrating, because I don't buy the notion that the Jets were forced to trade Jamal Adams. You had a superstar defensive player, a guy that should be a perennial, not just a perennial pro bowler, but a perennial all pro. We watched him, we watched him wreck a game last year and almost single-handedly beat the, the New York Giants. He has that ability to dominate it, and he still had two years left on his contract. I, I, I get that he didn't want to be a Jet without getting paid, without getting an extension. But you add the franchise tag, and one year of the franchise tag, and Adams was essentially under the team control for another three years. He wasn't going to sit out this season. Even with him blasting Adam Gase last week in an attempt to get out of New York and in an attempt to demand an extension. And, of course, who was at the forefront of that controversy with Adam Gase, between Gase and between Adams in the middle of the newspaper? Manish Mehta. But it's about what you do on the field. And Gase doesn't coach the defense. So, in my opinion, it's more important that Jamal Adams was able to get along with Greg Williams than it mattered he got along with Adam Gase. Once he was on the field, that noise of whether or not Gase is a leader, whether or not Douglas sought to trade him last year, whether or not Adams wanted to go to Dallas, that wouldn't have mattered once, once he hits the field. Adams would have produced. Adams would have gotten the team wins. And then you address his status again next year. Because, look, if the Jets got this return for Adams this past March, amazing. Now if, they, if they traded him next March and got this return, fantastic. you do it before the draft. So you could take some of those picks that the Seahawks were willing to give you and turn them into assets that can help you on the field in your next game, not assets that can help you on the field 32 games from now. So as, as long as Adams was healthy, his value was going to be the same next spring as it was last Saturday. If the value of Adams doesn't change and the Jets need wins this season, what do those two first-round picks what, what, do they, what do those picks that the Jets just added from the Seahawks, what does it get the team? What does it get Sam Darnold? Nothing for this season. Look, the, the return was good, but the timing was off. You deal them four months ago, now you have those assets to use and help build your 2020 roster. You trade them six months from now, and then now you have those assets to help build your incoming 2021 roster. And you do that after you used them on the field this season. But dealing him now, dealing him today, you, you get rid of your best player and you get no immediate return in a year where the Jets need to show growth and the Jets need to show improvement and they, and show that they're heading on the right track. Or Gase should not see the third year of his contract and maybe Sam Darnold shouldn't see the fourth year of his. The Jets got plenty back for Adams. I'm not arguing that, but the, the, the roster is undoubtedly worse off. A month before the season. So treating this like a coming out party for Joe Douglas when he made the team worse this close to the start of the regular season just doesn't make any sense to me. John Idzik once had a lot of draft capital for the Jets, and what happened there? So is Douglas gonna is he gonna take these picks and package them for a player that's ready to step on the field and help the team this season and, and help Sam Darnold out as a, a playmaker this season? It's possible, but it's incredibly unlikely so unlikely that I don't think it's even reasonable to really entertain the idea so if he's if he's not trading for a proven commodity then those picks are a question mark that we're not going to get to start seeing a return on for 16 games and 32 games for the second pick and yes they they got Bradley McDougal, they got a, a serviceable safety that could step in alongside Marcus May and he's been on board with trying to Trying to get the Jets to now sign Jadavian Clowney, which I would be fine with. I would prefer that over trading for Ngakwe from Jacksonville simply because it only costs money for Clowney as opposed to picks that would have to go to Jacksonville. The the Jets have already shown us, though, that they're not building to win this year. So I would be surprised if they went out and signed Clowney. Here's the thing with McDougal, though. He, He is a legit starting safety. There's no question about that. But he's going to be 30 years old in November. Is on the last year of his contract and while he might be an actual starter he is but he's still a fill-in McDougal, he's not going to be here the year after he's a one and done player he's not a long-term fix Jamal Adams is 24 years old you have five prime seasons left before he gets to the age that McDougal is so he's he's coming in as a starter but let's call him what he is he's a throw-in in this deal because it was just days before August 1st and The Jets needed to fill out their roster after trading their best player. There weren't many options to be had. I'm fine with the concept of trading a safety for a ton of assets. But after, and I understand, look, this isn't Joe Douglas' fault necessarily, or at least it's not entirely his fault. He's now just kind of fitting in as the next piece of the puzzle as part of the problem. But after 10 years of no playoffs for the Jets... After a losing year again last season, a disappointing start to Adam Gase's tenure as head coach, and let's be real about this, through two seasons, the quarterback has been a disappointment. And you can throw excuses about him being banged up in his rookie season and being too young in his rookie season and and having mono last year and having to learn two offenses in two years, but those are just that. Those are excuses. Sam Darnold, for all the hype, For trading three second-round picks to the Indianapolis Colts to move up just three spots in the draft and grab him, Sam Darnold heading into year three has been a disappointment as the New York Jets quarterback. Saying anything other than that is just sugarcoating the reality. So with the state of the Jets right now, am I wrong for demanding that they operate the organization in a way that they concern themselves with their next game? Am I wrong for wanting them to build their roster in a way that it gives them the best opportunity to win their very next game? Because that's what they should be doing with a head coach in year two and a quarterback in year three. But instead, Joe Douglas and the Jets are again looking toward the future, are again building the team with the focus on 2021 and 2022, 16 and 32 games from now. They're ignoring the game against the Buffalo Bills in a few weeks. They're ignoring this the next 16 games and as usual, Looking at years down the road, I'm ready to see them build for the now. I'm ready to see them attempt to put the best roster on the field for their very next game. And they just don't do that. The trade doesn't do that. Making the trade four months ago, fine. Use the assets to build a better roster in 2020. Make the trade six months from now, fine both scenarios signal a focus and an emphasis on building a roster for their very next game that's all I want make the trade a month before the season and it means you're looking towards the future and Adam Gase is getting a free pass in 2020 and there will be a 2020 season the NFL is not canceling their season let's take a quick break and then we discuss back after this with a commercial that some of you are going to hear and some of you might not I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal There's a lot of questions right now about the ability of the NFL to start and, and complete their 2020 season. I, I'm personally, I, I'm not worried. The, the The questioning is, it's journalistic and it makes sense with the way that the country is currently handling or or the lack of handling COVID nineteen and, and this global pandemic and the fact that we're we're seeing so many parts of the country struggle to contain its spread. And there are questions right now also because Major League Baseball is going through a rough stretch in large part because of the Miami Marlins outbreak. And it's not a good look or it's not a good sign for baseball that it took just three games for that outbreak to occur. We were all expecting to at least be able to make it to September or October uh, before hitting an impasse like this and having to cancel games. But it, it took just three games before the Marlins had to put their season on hold. I love, though, I love that they're trying to fight through it and, and keep the, the season going, Major League Baseball. That is, I think going into the sports restart, there was always that concern of, well, what happens if somebody tests positive? And, and that if was inevitably going to happen, there were going to be positive tests. The hope was that they could be isolated positives. And if a team has a player test positive, he sits out. Hopefully not more than one or two others were Infected, seeing the Marlins come out with 17 positive tests is, is very concerning. And had you told me a, a month ago that a team was going to have 17 positive tests come back in, in the span of two days, I would have said the season is, is going to be canceled immediately because you look at the NBA, it took just one player, Rudy Gobert, for the NBA to shut down the season in March and subsequently cause all sports and really the entire country to begin it's shut down. So seventeen people with one organization would absolutely shut down baseball. But I, I do think it I think it's great that they they they're choosing to just pause the Marlins, keep the rest of the year going. Uh sixty games right now is the goal for every team, but if it's just not feasible and one team ends up playing fifty games, then then so be it. this is it's already an unprecedented year and an abnormal season, so if that means that some teams are going to play more games than than the other team it, then then we'll we'll deal with that when it comes to it but if sports were going to restart they had to do it recognizing that the reality of of that there's going to be positive tests and just ask the question of how do we fight through it and i think football the nfl for for all the negative criticism that they get about everything whether it's legal issues or kneeling during the anthem concussions they they inherently are really good really good at ignoring the noise and just pushing through the the thing with football is there are just 16 games they're not trying to play 60 games with the amount of road trips that major league baseball is they they have only eight road games and you don't necessarily have to fly to all of those games. So the travel is already such a smaller percentage in football than what baseball is dealing with. It's easier to avoid lengthy hotel stays where players and team members are are out and about in a, in a different city every single week. And I was, I was thinking about this also because baseball plays series. So they need to stay in hotels and they're going out to eat in those cities, which the combination of doing that numerous times in multiple cities over the span of a few months, that, that doesn't bode well for the, ability to avoid the virus. But w- what if the NFL eliminates the need for staying at hotels altogether? And I know there were there were some teams that have discussed flying in and out of a city on game day only so that they, they don't have to stay at a hotel, which probably works better and is more realistic for the teams that are in the center of the United States so that they never have to do an East to West Coast trip. Um, so I, I don't know how realistic it would be for... An East Coast team that has West Coast games, it's it's hard to imagine the Jets would actually fly in Sunday morning for 1 o'clock Pacific time in, in Seattle uh, and then head home immediately after that game. They, they likely at least want to fly in just one day ahead of time, stay Saturday night, which if if that's the case, it's not the worst thing. It's, it's one night uh, because looking at the Jets' schedule, that means – They have Seattle, they have L.A. twice, the Chargers and the Rams. So if they fly west on the the day before each of those games, that makes three nights for the entire season that they need to sleep in a hotel and go out to dinner in another city. That seems doable. Baseball teams are in a hotel three nights during each road series multiple times throughout the season. That's a lot more difficult, but what if they wanted to, the NFL wanted to eliminate the need to stay in a hotel altogether for NFL teams? And I know there's been talk about adjusting the schedule so you play teams within your division, which would help limit travel, but if there are no fans at these games anyway, why not have teams meet halfway? So instead of the Jets flying to L.A. and staying in hotels to play the Rams, both teams hop on a plane and, and fly three hours in the opposite direction to Kansas City and play at a neutral site. Then they head home from there. Uh same thing when the jets are supposed to be at home for the Raiders, you meet in the middle now now, no team has to have their fifty three man roster their coaches, their staff stay in a hotel for an amount of time in another city that it, it avoids it completely it's it's kind of crazy. it creates more travel overall, but they're on team planes you know they they're actually the ability to get to a city is not the issue it's it's more staying in the city that is the bigger issue I would think that they're they're not walking through a busy airport to fly coach. The, the plane isn't where an outbreak of COVID will come from for NFL players. The issue is avoiding having to stay in a city for a length of time. And instead of staying in hotels, let the two teams meet in the middle. You, you get there in the morning, fly home after the game. It's a three-hour trip. It's, it's, it's not like you're going uh, across the entire country. You set it up so that this way, no team. Has to fly more than three hours throughout the the entire season, and and having a team fly six hours through two time zones and tell them that they need to arrive on game day the morning of and leave on game day after it's just I, I don't I don't find that to be realistic. Uh, you, this way, it, it also it levels the playing field too. If you have them meet in the middle, you can arrange it so that no team flies more than three hours all season, and it, it's it's easy to get in and out on game day and again there's no fans going to these games anyway so changing the location shouldn't be a huge deal obviously it's it's less of an issue like I said for a team like Kansas City it's more of an issue for the east and west coast teams but I, I think eliminating hotel stays and keeping players from going out in other cities is a key to avoiding an outbreak because like even with the Marlins they're they're talking about uh them going out in Atlanta was was likely the cause for this for this outbreak but I, I'm, I'm glad baseball is still fighting through the Marlins situation. I'm not confident that the sport is going to make it to October. I, I am very confident that not only will football be able to navigate starting their season, but I absolutely believe they're going to complete this the, this season and be able to crown a Super Bowl winner come February. But but likely in front of no fans. Uh, the, the Super Bowl, though, if, oddly enough, the Super Bowl is probably the game that makes most sense to have in front of no fans, because most of those fans aren't real fans anyway. Most of them are not diehards of the teams that are involved. A few of them are, but because of the cost that it takes to get there, because it's already at a neutral site, the Super Bowl doesn't get a raucous crowd the way that the championship and other playoff games do in football. So a crowdless Super Bowl shouldn't really be that big of a deal. But I'd say not to worry if you're a a Jets fan, because the Jets just traded their best player. So won't be there this year anyway. Crazy year, though. Thanks for listening to the Brandon Condes Jets podcast. And as always, big up.